Hello, and welcome to Reclamation, an NWM initiative. I am Naomi, and you are about to listen to an interview with a dear friend of mine from childhood, Elizabeth. I listened through this before releasing it to you, with the plan to pull a few quotes from it. At the end of listening, I had pulled 12, and I had been selective. Maybe this is partially because it resonates with me on the deepest and most personal level, but I know it's mostly because Elizabeth shares the mess and the tension between the deception, the devastation, and the redemption of religious abuse so beautifully. Her narrative is profound, and she generously shares it boldly with us in her hope to educate and to bring healing to others. I want to mention that all of our guests take risks by recording these episodes with us. They take risks by shining the light on the problems and the areas of darkness in their experiences. I'm sharing this with you today with gratitude for their perseverance and their audacity. During this interview, the interviewee shared her personal story, which includes her belief about harmful or even criminal behavior of someone in her life. NWM is not in any position to verify the accuracy of any allegations made, and therefore neither endorses nor embraces opinions of its guests as its own. Our goal is to provide the platform for personal stories to be shared in the hopes that they may help others. This episode contains mature sexual content. Listener discretion is advised. And truly, discretion is always advised for this podcast in general. The content of these episodes is hard. As someone who was born and raised in a cult, how would you summarize your experience? And I'm saying, like, looking back throughout the years, how do you see that time frame of your life? From childhood to adulthood? Yeah. So until about, what, 30? Yes. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my early 30s. So childhood was grand. I mean, you know, we had communal living. So, you know, we had um, lots of children. We had... Uh, a lot of cookouts and play dates and you know we were all taken out of school at the same time and homeschooled together and went on vacations together so I have fond memories and then as I matured and um, instinctively started to know that something was not right something was off um, you know growing up in it seeing this as you're growing up you, you don't question it you, you know it's just it's your life it's what it is but then you start noticing that your life is different than others uh you see things and then you question why your parents are so secretive you know why don't they talk about this why why are they asking us to be quiet about it don't bring it up in front of family members and and so you're you know you start questioning and and you know something's wrong and then you start to realize then i started to realize that there was abuse uh, mental abuse physical abuse going on um Poverty, I guess, was, yeah, we, we all kind of lived impoverished. And I think if you want me to get into, that was preyed upon. Can you explain that a little bit? Okay, so I feel like the leader was able to take this class of people and prey upon their wanting to be accepted. And, and, you know, I, I I never saw myself as poor. I didn't even think I was in our group. I thought I was one of the richer ones. I thought you were too. Were you not? <laughs> yeah. No. No, we were. No. Oh, that's no. so funny. Yeah. 
no. So, you know, you saw these that, that they were pretty, they were pretty impoverished. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they lived, gosh, pretty poor. And mm-hmm. so for somebody to come in and, and give them promises, they latched on to that. Um, and so seeing that and, uh, then, okay, so then there was a period of rebellion, right? So, you know, my teenage years, um, went out, did my own thing, uh, partied, did, never really committed, you know, but always believed that uh, William Branham or mm-hmm. uh, was a prophet or was our Christ, mm-hmm. right? And, um, and then my dad was the, what, the prophet, prophet yeah. And so there were some things that had happened in my life. I got pretty ill at one point, and it was always said that, you know, God will put you on your back to look up. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, well, I need to get back to God, and this was my my avenue, my way back. And so um, I started going back to Bi- the Bible studies. Um, I had met someone, and so I was, you know, sharing with him and we were going to start a family, have children. So that's what you do, you know? And, uh, yeah, if I can jump in for a second, it was, um, we left the group, but there was this perception of, and I don't want to project this on you, but I think Mm -hmm. you're going to agree with this. There's this perception of, well, we need them to at least be open to our belief system though mm-hmm. or we're not going to be able to move forward or we just don't we don't want that to happen like we love this we are I'm in love with this person so there has to be an opportunity for him to join so mm-hmm. I'm like sweating that out you know exactly please don't think we're crazy please be open to this being mm-hmm. true and yeah. and thankfully he was mm-hmm. he was open to it um he didn't come from a christian background and he's just like okay you know it is what it is because mm-hmm. i told him I mean, I was up front with him, some of the practices that were going on. And so he, loving me, went to these Bible studies. And, um, you know, we just started then surrounding ourselves with the individuals in the message and spending more time with them. And, um, yeah, we got pretty deep in it. Uh, we committed. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then do, do we want to go into then how I... The catalyst of... I'll hold off on that. Okay. I'm going to ask you a couple more questions sure. about that time frame first to give a little more um, context to it. Mm-hmm. When you look back, what do you believe were the main tenets of the group's belief system? How would you define it? If you were to be like, okay, these were the top three or four or five, mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. Right. pillars well, of the faith. Right. William Branham was the center mm-hmm. of our faith. He he was our Christ figure. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to go beyond the cross. Mm-hmm. So they separated Jesus, the human, from the Christ, that light that abode with him. And so now that light was with William Branham, and he was the voice of God mm-hmm. to, to this generation. So even beyond that, though, we had a, a prophet. I, I, I call it a fundamentalist group. Uh, so they broke off from the Branham churches mm-hmm. and now had their own ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say? Dogmas. Right. We so added that, to it. So even, yeah. And mm-hmm. the way I've described it is we added to it to the degree that 
my dad, the prophet you're referring to, mm-hmm. his first wife, who is still in a Brenham church today, left him mm. because his beliefs were so too radically different from a traditional Brenham church mm-hmm. for her to stay with him. Mm-hmm. And so it was different enough, yeah. which I think helps listeners have context of, well, okay, it wasn't totally similar. There was enough that was going on right. there. Yes. So from that, what separated him from the church was that he was going around to the different Branham churches, um, preaching that we were spiritual Israel. And um, so there was a group that then left the church and went to follow Philip. Mm-hmm. So that would have been one. Um, you know, we were spiritual Israel. Uh, Israel, the the natural Israel mm-hmm. was a decoy. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, so those would have been... What would you say were, like, the main um, tenets, might be the wrong word, but the main tenets of the culture in the group? When you look back, you're like, these were big cultural things. I think one you mentioned already would be a sense of community. Like, this is my group. This is who we're hanging out with. These are... And I know you did have... I mean, you had great friends who weren't in the group as well, so you had a mix. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was primary community. What would you say about other cultural aspects? So we were chastised for spending too much time with a natural family, um, friends that weren't believers. Actually, didn't have too many friends that weren't believers. Uh, I, I remember specifically someone getting yelled at in a, in a study for um, traveling to go visit their family. So then, you know, we became, half of my family is in it, but half is not. So we became separate. We, we started, there's a word for it that I can't find. Um, like estranged? Estranged, mm-hmm. thank you. Mm-hmm. So we became estranged from my father's side of the family. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, my I think my grandmother had threatened my father at some point because of she got drift of um, older men going after younger girls. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she was worried about us. So she had threatened. So I mean, they cut that relationship off then. Mm-hmm. That's so sad <laughs> for someone to care and to have your best interest. Well, he. Mm-hmm. Be told, no, you don't have access anymore at all. Right. He believed he was protecting her as well. So she was saying negative things about the prophet, about their beliefs. And he thought, well, if I stop it here, I can protect her from, uh, you know, possibly death, mm-hmm. <laughs> getting disease, um, you know, something tragic happening in her life because... She went against God. Right. Yeah. And it really was viewed that if someone spoke out against my dad being viewed as the prophet, then they were blaspheming the Lord. And scripture is very clear that blaspheming the Lord is very serious and it's dealt with very seriously. And so there was this idea of we're going to protect the people we love by cutting them off because they don't agree and we don't want them to be saying bad things. So we're going to hopefully eliminate that possibility. So there was this interesting twist to it of this is a loving gesture. Just so interesting. That's how they justified it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think many genuinely believed it. They, they could really believe that. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting about, 
again, I mean, we were raised in something and genuinely believed it. And so people can come to believe things. And I think there's different motivators for different people, um, especially depending on where they're at in life. For someone like you who's born and raised in it, the, the it can boil down to this is what I know. It mm-hmm. can be as simple as that. Um, for someone who comes into it later, like you said, there can be other motivators. And one can be I'm seen. I have value. I have this new worth. I'm special. I'm now set apart. Mm-hmm. Like I'm one of the few. So that can really mm-hmm. feed our pride, our self-esteem, our self-worth arrogance we saw a lot of arrogance um self-righteousness yes absolutely and i think there's also there was another motivator um if you're open to speaking about that um with the dynamic between men and women or men and girls who are coming of age that definitely played in as a motivator too for certain people for men and women Mm -hmm. because the men yes um there were men that came for that specifically and there were women that came for that specifically so yeah um do you mind sharing a little bit about for someone who maybe is listening to this for the first time let's say they haven't heard my story they haven't seen my story videos i'll link it in the description of this podcast episode for people to give them more context if they want but let's say this is their first exposure to naomi wright ministries um, do you mind giving some context as to what that dynamic was? Because, for example, they may not know that it was a polygamous group. So if we start there. This was a polygamous group. And what what was that like for the men and the women? So, okay, how they were able to work it into Scripture was um, they used, you know, Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So, you know, David... Solomon. Um, they also used um, prophets of the Old Testament. So certain prophets did certain things that were strange, odd, and um, it was a representation to the people from God. So they would act out certain things to um, represent what God was trying to do with his people, say to his people, God, having a many-membered bride, um, the prophet Philip at this point was acting that out by taking many women. And so that's how, like I, you know, you question like how, how did my parents, how were they okay with this? They didn't come from this. I know at one point they had to question it. I mean, at one point men were swapping wives. So how did they rationalize that? And it didn't end with the prophet. No. Which is interesting because mm-hmm. he was acting, you know, but then others <laughs> were able to join mm-hmm. in that practice as well. They were. And then at one point my father even tried to do it because the men thought it was their responsibility mm-hmm. at this point. And my dad really had trouble with it because he felt he struggled with it. He felt he had to take on a, another wife. Mm-hmm. And I remember certain women coming around uh, oh and, and as a child I mean that's heartbreaking it's heartbreaking I remember going and storming into my parents room after we had a cookout and there was a certain woman she came for that very reason and she was flaunting herself throwing herself at my dad and I go in there <laughs> and I say what is your intentions with this woman you know my mom was very quiet 
she was very quiet about it, you know, because she was to be submissive to this, if this was God's will. And those, I don't think those are my dad's intentions. And then, so then it came out later that, okay, it wasn't for everyone. It was just the prophet's responsibility. It's okay to take a second wife. And it, it was a relief to my dad. And so, you know, I, I didn't have to live that. There was this component of, which goes back to Old Testament as well. There are Old Testament examples and in the law and things that speak to if if there's a young widow, you know, it's best for her to be remarried. Or if, you know, your, your brother dies, like, taking his wife and... So there was this aspect to polygamy within our group that included that. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, this woman is new to the message and, you know, she's widowed or her husband's left her and she has a child. And so we'll take her as a second wife and care for her. And so they were living this out. Um, It wasn't all that, of course, but that was one way in which polygamy did present. Mm -hmm. Later, mm -hmm. later on then, uh, as an adult, I don't know if this was new revelation. I was informed that women did not have representation, um, except for through their husband. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I questioned that immediately. Like, what do you mean? Can you de- yeah? Can you define that for me? That, like representation. Like the to- man was the mediator for the woman to other to people God. or to God to God. Mm-hmm. So and I, I immediately like. Okay, can I have a personal relationship with God? What do you mean? I have to, I have to marry a believer for God to see me, for, for, for me to be represented as bride, as part of the bride? So that, well, that was a hard one. And then how did this aspect of the group, the polygamous aspect, how did that play into the young women like yourself as you came of age? as you approach 17, 18 years old. And the reason I'm asking you to speak to this is because I've been asked about this a couple of times Mm. and I have shared my side and my side had some interesting differences being the daughter of the quote unquote prophet himself. Mm -hmm. And so there, there's a dynamic that I haven't overly spoken to because I've really tried to stick to my experience and my story. So if you're open to sharing that, I would love for you to generally share what that dynamic was. As young girls, you know, um, the older men, we, was, ew, you know, <laughs> we just, oh, we knew to stay clear of that fella so and don't go, anywhere. well, not so much that, but just like, we knew their intentions. Mm-hmm. Like it was predatorial. I mean, it was like, we were to be preyed upon. It felt that way. I never really had too many instances, and I don't know if I should speak for those who do or just, um, I watched as men would groom these young girls. And again, it, it, it stems back to like classes or, you know, um, yeah, they were just preying upon them, uh, gifting them with things, um, lavishing them with attention, you know, and, and, and they came from families that maybe they didn't get that. And especially being a woman in, in the message, you know, the boys, it seemed got to do all the fun things, be in the sports, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't attend sports because you had to wear shorts, you know, or not attend sports, but play sports. And, uh, 
they would give them what they were yearning for. Mm-hmm. And, um, and their families would almost push it on them because it was usually the wealthier men mm-hmm. and they had the pick, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the families of the young woman were excited like, we're going to be part of this family, and he's going to take care of us, mm-hmm. right? So much of just sounds very old school. <laughs> so some of this isn't unheard of. And I think back to, gosh, whatever little woman days would be, or where, not that book specifically, but, you know, that time period in history where, the woman marries wealthy and it is seen as a good thing or their um the marriage is set up it's arranged yeah they don't necessarily because mm-hmm. have to love each other right but this was interesting because the girls did get to choose they did say yes or no but it's difficult to say it was a full open choice when one you're groomed for it starting likely before the statute age, like they're already getting ready. Like someone's already picked you out and has their eye on you. They're kind of just waiting for you to be old enough. Um, You've been deprived of some basic human needs and such as that love and affection and attention and um, those sorts of good things that people should have, those aspects of unconditional love and support from people in their lives. And the family is seeing it as such a good thing. So all of this can be, like I said, you could look at other time frames in history where this stuff happened. But here's the really messed up part. Here's the real twist. It was God's will. You were marrying a man of God who either was the prophet himself or was very close to the prophet. And so this like proximity situation and it was God's will for you to, how, how could you not want to be with this man? What is your issue with God? And so it spoke to people's view of God and their relationship with God. It, was, it would be questioned. Would mm. you agree with that? I do, yeah. Mm-hmm. I see that. And that's the real coercion part. Mm-hmm. That's the real manipulative part. Because a woman could decide, I'm going to go along with this marriage because I do see how I see he's a good man. Maybe I don't love him. Um, Maybe I'm not attracted to him, but he's a good man. He's kind to me. He'll provide well. He'll help take care of my family. A woman could make that choice for herself. Mm -hmm. Right. But you add this religious piece and you throw God into it and all of a sudden it's manipulation. While you were active in the group... How would you describe your view of God? From very early on, I, I had a personal re- relationship with God. So, you know, um, in my bed at night, I was talking to him. I talked to him, you know, throughout the day. So I felt I had a personal relationship with him. Um, but if, if you're asking if I was um, fearful, like he was vengeful, I didn't feel that till maybe later on in life when uh they were okay, when fear was pushed i feel like so things would be said like uh, this person denied the message and they now have cancer and are dying from this and then you're like whoa i mean 
Yeah. Is, is he, you know, so I, I would speak to him and talk to him and he knew my heart and he knew I wanted to, I wanted truth. And is this the truth, you know, and, but you know, I never really saw him as vengeful. And, and that's why I could differentiate that they were pushing fear through the, those instances where they would tell these stories and, and Branham, gosh, all his stories were of a vengeful God. Mm. You know, you deny this, you drop dead. Right there, you drop dead right in front of me, right? Mm. Um, yeah, I saw him as a father figure, you know. Um, I, thought, I thought I knew him. I didn't know Jesus. You know, I knew, I knew God, and then at some point he goes, okay, let me introduce you, you know. Let me introduce you to my son. <laughs> Because Branham was that Christ figure. God wasn't so much messed up for you as Jesus was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, right. And and it's a gift. That was a gift given, mm-hmm. for sure. He protected me from that. <clears throat> because when, you know, I was stepping away from this, you start, you distrust everything then you know, and, uh, he is the only, I thought, well, there's only one thing and that's my creator. So I'm just going to hold on to that. Mm. Just going to hold on to that. And you're, you're going to have to, you're going to have to show me truth. You're going to have to move me through this, this muck because, you know, I feel, I just feel like I'm drowning. I'm just drowning. So yeah, he, he extended that hand and pulled me up. He says that he will do that and he has followed through. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) He means it. For anyone who's listening who may wonder where he is, if you ask to see him and to meet him, you will will find him. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Even in a mess like this. Gosh. It's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Seriously. What was the catalyst for your exit? How did that come to be? (laughs) So we moved an inconvenient distance from (laughs) the the believers, right? (laughs) Convenient. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we, we were spending less time. And it, the funny thing is, is we actually moved off grid. So I didn't have a lot of um, electronics, right? Like we didn't have TV at this point. Um, we didn't have computers and things. <laughs> we were going through a period. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I started reading my Bible, <laughs> started reading the Bible and w- was coming across different uh, scriptures that were brought question about certain things. One was, I'm not going to be able to quote it, but I think it's in second Corinthians and it talks about, talks about the, um, that Satan can masquerade as an angel of light. I'm like, what? I mean, you know, so then whenever you went with a question to a believer in my specific case, I was always told Elizabeth, be careful don't question the prophet. That ended it. I mean, Mm. you know, I never was able to satisfy that, that my question or get it answered. And then uh, I I read that God gives you permission to test a prophet. You have permission, right? Actually, it's a responsibility. It's stronger than permission. Exactly. And so I, I was reading this, and then um, 
where we were living, there was a neighbor, and just so happened to be Jehovah's Witness. So she came up with her tracks one day, you know, and mm-hmm. she's trying to prove her religion is the truth. And I'm like, I'm going to prove mine's the truth, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I start researching. I'm going to come to her with all this, you know, proof. Mm-hmm. And so I went to a website that was originally pro-Branham mm-hmm. initially. And, uh, you know, I was going to do all my research on this uh, website. The first thing that pops up is this apology letter. You know, what What are they saying? What are these discrepancies they're saying? What's happening, you know? And, um, you know, we never... we. We were kept from questioning, so it was a it was a blind faith, and now we're, here we're in the age of information. Mm-hmm. So you just Google it, you know. Right. I mean, we were told certain things like a certain picture was in the museum of. Do you remember what is? I remember which museum, but yes, are you talking about the cloud image? Yes, yes. not only the clouded image, but William Branham's picture with yeah. the light above his head. Mm-hmm. Oh, the only supernatural picture taken, mm-hmm. and that this was hanging in the museum of supernatural something. So, yeah, I, I can't remember. It was just hanging in everyone's living rooms. <laughs> it, yeah, right. It was. Everybody yeah. had it in their living room. Mm-hmm. And so the the one thing I saw is that no no such thing existed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, what? So, so I just went down the rabbit hole, started reading all of this, where they were finding all these discrepancies with his prophecies. And at this point, I mean, my husband is deep into it too, you know, and um, he's actually talking to someone at work about this and uh, trying to recruit, I guess, I don't know, you know. <laughs> and so now I have to go to my husband and tell him, what I'm seeing, you know, and so this, this fear comes over me, like I'm that spirit of Eve, right? I'm the deceiver. I mean, I'm coming into the camp and just bringing deception and confusion. I just, I just said, here it is, read this and tell me what you think. It's a cult. Like what? No, that was his response. response. And I, I couldn't accept that. I couldn't call it a cult at that time, but he instantly, he was done with it. So he had to go to the fellow at work, apologize to him, you know, and say, look, this is what we're seeing. And then I have to talk to my parents, mm-hmm. right? So they came for a visit. I hadn't mentioned anything before. They just had asked to come visit. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be the time. And I, sh- I shared it with them and they left in shock. Because you were all in. Absolutely. We were the the golden children. I mean, we did everything right. Raising their grandchildren in it. Yeah, and- absolutely. And then, uh, I don't know if you want to go beyond that, but um, talk about when they... I'm just came. curious. Mm-hmm. What happened with the woman who was Jehovah's Witness? Did, did two of you have an interaction? Because wasn't yeah. this wasn't this a it was a nice relationship, right? It wasn't I'm going to prove you wrong. You may have no, felt no, no, that, yeah. It was, no, she. I showed her some things. Gosh, it's been a while ago, and I don't know if I can. So I. They don't believe. What don't they? Something about the spirit. But I share. I think it was John, mm-hmm. where he talks about the indwelling, indwelling the spirit. spirit. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think they believe that. Yeah, so I shared that Mm -hmm. with her, and boy, she turned on me. She turned on me in an instant. She had her peoples up there at my door knocking. Yeah, 
And wow. then uh, she would not talk to me. She accused me of certain things, my children of certain things then. I mean, like, within a day. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it never got to the point of you going to her and actually, saying, actually, sure, no. I'm... No, it was just for me. Mm -hmm. God did this just for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Brought that woman into my life just for that, mm -hmm. that moment. See, he gave you that fighter spirit and he used it. <laughs> <laughs> Have you had any contact with any of the leadership of the group? I would say the, the top men, the elders, since you've exited. I'm going to ask you about your family separately. Mm -hmm. No real interaction. Um, like if they they come asking me, uh, you know, why or anything. Okay, so my father would be considered one, mm -hmm. but beyond him, no one came to Adam and I asking what, you know, like in a loving spirit, just what are you seeing? What are you having problems with? And they wouldn't allow us to share in any of the things that we were seeing or, oh, I've already seen that. No, I don't need to read that, you know. Um, so no, not really. Um, the only one would be my father. Mm -hmm. And at some point he did then confront us, but not in a loving way. Mm -hmm. Was that soon after you had? Yeah, had it was with the, oh yeah, it was in the first week, okay. week of us telling them. Mm -hmm. Did that shake you and make you? consider reconsidering no yeah. <laughs> no you I, guys were too open yeah to they were speak. you know i i from a child i was having conversations with god and i trusted him mm -hmm. i trusted him over my father over any of the leadership and i said if this is if this is truth you'll lead me back to it mm -hmm. i have no doubt about that right now you're showing me that it's not powerful what losses have you taken what personal losses have you taken by leaving the group strained relationship with my mother and father and the family members that are still in the message um we try very strained though see no, none of my siblings are in the message so i have support through them mm -hmm. and um yeah it's we make it work, mm -hmm. but we, we know there's still that divide between us. And it's a very serious divide in a group like this because the view isn't as simple as... I think I've made this comment jokingly over the past few days. As someone who is an atheist has more hope than someone like you or I. And that's because an atheist in the group's mind maybe hasn't decided they can still choose this group's belief. But someone like myself, who has known it but has decided against it, that's, that's likened to the mark of the devil. Like, I have sided with Satan and now there is not just a, well, we can't be involved with her because we don't agree with her anymore. There's also this, we have to shield and guard from her because she's of the enemy. And so we need to protect ourselves from her. Now, that's 
the experience that I've had. No, I feel that. I feel that. My, my mm-hmm. mother's very guarded. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, I, I've had a relationship with all of these people in the message. They were like family. I, I love them. I do. And today she, she doesn't even mention their names mm-hmm. to me. She doesn't mention them by name. She'll just say, my friends. Oh, I'm going to my friend's house. Oh, I'm going to, you know, do this with my friends. And it, you can tell me who you're going with, Mom. It's, it's you know, I, I'm not, I, I can't, I don't understand that. Is she protecting them from me? I don't know. I don't know if she thinks that I'm going to use information against her or the group. I think this, yeah, this is scaring them. And what do you mean by this? This moment here, mm-hmm. this interview, um, their children have turned against them. And again, that is, of course, the perception. It's not the truth. Mm-hmm. No, no. I see. You love your parents. Mm-hmm. I see you them would, as victims. Yeah, mm-hmm. you would welcome them mm-hmm. in a second. Absolutely. And the change from the start of this conversation to now I just want to highlight that we started with this incredible sense of community and all of these cookouts and this group of friends and these people that understood life in a way that others didn't and understood our life your life in a way that others didn't and you said there's, it was great in so many ways. And there's a fondness for it. And now what I'm hearing from you is I, I've lost all of that. And I see what you, yeah, you're asking. And, and this is, this is a huge fallout from someone stepping away. And you're not the only one who has felt it people who take that hard stand and they truly follow the real Christ he says follow me and they really do that they do suffer losses and the promise that we have Mm -hmm. is that what we gain is better Mm -hmm. and we know that and we have so much hope but that doesn't minimize or negate the true pain that we can suffer now you're right i have i yes losing that community was very hard and to it's been hard to find that Mm -hmm. okay so do we go to church um i i i have issues with trust Mm -hmm. um you know do my husband and i study together is that enough is that enough, Lord? Do we need to be in church? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's where you're at. And so we've just, we just started individually, you know, our own time studying, studying together, then just within our surrounding community. So, you know, we've collected friends here and there and, and you know, their faith, they're believing Christians. And it's not like it, was though in that group you have a common goal a common belief you're all on one page and and you make a point to see each other very often you, you you're with each other 
quite a bit. I mean, um, several times a week, you know, you're, you're with these people. And so, yeah, I, I, I find it hard to build relationships like, like I had at one time, very distrusting. You know, we've tried, we've tried to go to church. We've gone to Omega church. We brought our Bibles and I felt foolish when we walked in because we were the only ones carrying our Bibles. And I'm like, they don't, study out of the Bible? Like, what is this? It's just a rock concert, pretty much, you know? And then, you know, there were some other churches that we've tried to go to, and I don't know. I don't know why. Do I have to force it until it feels right? (laughs) I think the question you just asked is the question I will answer in full in the follow-up episode that I create to our conversation. So all I want to say now is that it's good to know what our boundary is, where we're comfortable, and try to push a little past that when we're trying to challenge and maybe grow or check something out. But it's not typically healthy for someone to just blow past that and just shove themselves into the deep end. And so that's how I'd like to answer that for now. Um, I know that I've been taught that in education. I still did it anyway, and it did not go well. (laughs) It was very, it was very unsafe for me and it threw me into some pretty hardcore dissociative episodes um, that would last for days or I just was not even really connected to my body because it was a very um, it was a very it's a very innate trauma response for me and so I had to seek help for that to just really ground myself back into my body. So I would kind of float out of my body in church and be hanging out like in the corner of the, like I could see myself and I could, and I would be so anxious. It's like, I could imagine myself running down the street, like ripping my skin off. Like I could not be in a church building. That's not healthy to push to that degree. Mm. Um, but it was healthy to listen to a live stream. So there were steps that I could take. And I also had an incredible support person at the, t- the time, a professional counselor, who didn't have a background in cult specifically or cult-related trauma, but had some great trauma background in general. And so what he was able to transcribe kind of from what he knew to what I was going through was really helpful. And I learned how to back away and recognize those signs that I was heading into the point of no return or like, oh, I went too far and now I'm really reacting. I learned how to read those signs internally and know, okay, like take a step back. Like I need to be gentle. This is Mm -hmm. too much right now. And then over time be able to proceed. But it was a process. And I would never recommend to someone that they push themselves like that. It's incredibly unhealthy and it's, it doesn't help with trust issues. We at least have to be able to trust God in ourselves. And I need to be able to trust myself not to hurt myself. Mm, that is, yeah. Do you anticipate any fallout from this conversation? I do. If it's found. Yeah, if it's found. But but I'm hoping it um, sparks conversation. 
Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I do. I, I want, I just want discussion over this. I want to share, you know, the discrepancies that were found with this and, and, and hope that they can see that this is a false, a false religion, that they're following, following a false prophet. Mm. That's my hope. Absolutely. And I hear too much sensationalism around groups such as the one we've come out of. And it amazes people. People find it very intriguing and interesting. And I can understand that. I can get that. If you have no framework for this, it can be like, what? And how? And all of these questions. So I understand it. But what people can forget and lose track of is these are real people made in the image of God who are loved by someone. Mm. They are someone's child, maybe someone's parent, someone's brother, sister. These are real people and these are real lives. And they are a part of the next generation who is a part of the next generation and so if we don't speak to this now, how many more generations continue? I at least need to know that I tried. And it's not, oh, I just tried because I should. No, these people have faces. Mm -hmm. They have names. Mm -hmm. They have stories and hearts and souls that are in jeopardy. Exactly, yeah. And that's not something to sensationalize. Mm -hmm. So thank you for speaking to that. Have you found anything positive from this experience as you've had more space between your exit and now. Well, yeah, I mean, I've, God has led me to truth, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. I, you know, you, you're building your foundation on a false belief. And I needed a severe humbling and he came in, he tore it down. You're, I'm no longer bride. You know, um, all these promises that were offered through the message that I believed, I had to let go of. They were comfort. They were, you know, that, that cozy, cozy blanket that I protected myself in. And boy, he, he annihilated it, right? And then slowly starting, started building my foundation again. But it was, it was, it was a severe humbling. Boy, but I needed it. I needed it because I thought I was special. Mm -hmm. I thought I had it figured out. You know, I was the true bride of Christ. And, you know, it's a very small Noah group. And I'm going to walk right into eternity. You know, the millennium's right there for me. And I wanted that. Mm -hmm. I was promised that. Yeah. And he knocked that out from underneath me and started building up my faith. Well, the main thing is, is like I said, he introduced me to his son, Jesus. I, I didn't know Jesus. Uh, they, they separate the man from the Christ. So... Um, you know, and, and we, 
Branham was our Christ. We fell asleep to his life story. We, we, you know, enjoyed activities in his coloring books. Um, you know, we knew all his prophet prophecies Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, it, it is. It's it's like, it's like a, a mourning. It's like a death. Mm-hmm. I mean, someone has died, and and it, it you know, you lo- I loved this this prophet, this man, you know, and even part of me loved uh, the prophet, your father, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah, you, you it, it took some time to grieve, it took some time to grieve, but God was there every step of the way. Mm-hmm reassuring me, you know, helping me get through that grief. And I'm so thankful I had support through my husband and through some siblings. And now through the truth of who Christ is and him choosing to come to earth, excuse me, both fully divine and fully human and suffering and being persecuted and dying on a cross for us, we do then have the opportunity to choose him, repent for our sins, be forgiven, and be a part of the bride for real. (laughs) And our prayer now is just that the bride is billions of people. <laughs> right. Yeah. And not, not a remnant. Or, yeah. Small remnant of folks. Right. And wow. so with Jesus, there is truth that we can actually stand on for some of what we had been told before that was used incorrectly. Mm-hmm. How has this history shaped you as a mother? I just keep an honest, open dialogue with my children. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they got, at very early age, you know, I was teaching them about William Branham and then, you know, stopped and then just started strictly Bible then. And I'm just relieved. <laughs> I'm so relieved. I'm so relieved that... I didn't indoctrinate them, you know, through their, their life. And now they're going through something like this, you know, (laughs) and, you know, I'm the parents that are still in the message and they're finding truth, but yeah, no, it's a relief. Have you thought about how incredible it is? Because you were, do you know what generation raised in a mix of the Mm. William Brennan Message Church, but then my dad's version of that, the splinter group that he created. Were you third generation? It might even be fourth. My great-grandmother was part of a Branham church. Okay. Have you ever stopped and thought about how incredible that is? That you, God in his mercy, through you, broke that lineage line? Mm. Yes. How cool is that? Right. (laughs) Four generations. Yeah. I mean, when you put it like that, that's yeah. an incredible blessing really that you have been willing to give to your children. Mm-hmm. Thank you. If you were to issue them 
one morning as they get older and they step out on their own so that they never find themselves in a similar situation. What red flag would you want them to be aware of? If you were to say, boys, watch out for this. Mm -hmm. And if you see this, run. Anyone who's claiming that they have the truth, if they're not allowing for open discussion and and question, you know, questioning it, and they um, they get upset, I always want them to question. Never take anything blindly. Never go into anything blindly. Um, research it. <laughs> you know, somebody's telling you that they have the truth that this is the way. Um, that you have the responsibility to test anyone that's claiming that they have that they have the one and only truth. Thank you for listening to this production of Naomi Wright Ministries. You can learn more about us by visiting naomiwrightministries.com. Please note that any opinions represented by this ministry are not to be mistaken as medical or professional counseling advice or services. Employees, volunteers, representatives, guests of Naomi Wright Ministries may be individually trained, authorized, or licensed to provide professional counseling, psychological treatment, or psychological diagnoses. What you are listening to or viewing is not the provision of any such services. None of the interviews represented here creates a counselor-counselee relationship.